Good morning, Gateway. Um, I'm excited that you've joined us this morning. My name's Adam. I'm one of the pastors here, and and this is weird. We're we're celebrating Palm Sunday separate from each other. We're one week away from Easter, and we're we're in our living rooms, our bedrooms, our our televisions, computers, cell phones, whatever you're looking at right now. Um, but we're just trying to engage God together as a community this morning. So I'm glad that you're here. And wasn't that an awesome story from Daryl where he talked about how in his life, moment by moment by moment, God was drawing him, drawing Daryl to himself in the midst of that. And what a wonderful thing that was. Um, so as we're, as we're digging into Palm Sunday today, we're going to just uh, dig into the Palm Sunday scriptures, the scripture of the triumphant entry, and then we're going to dig into our new sermon series. We just finished the mountain series where we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, and we're starting our new sermon series today called I Choose You, or uh, also the Bride of Christ, this, this idea of what it looks like for God to choose us and for us to get ourselves ready to be the bride of Christ. And that comes out of uh, Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 8. And so I'm going to read that today just so we get our minds around um, where we're headed, what, we, what our goal is in this sermon series of how we prepare ourselves to meet Christ. And it says this in Revelation chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Our goal in this sermon, in this sermon series is to, to see what does it take for us as the church, as the body of Christ, to prepare ourselves for that day, that day where we meet Jesus face to face in all of his glory. How do we prepare ourselves for that moment? And each week we'll look at something different and how to prepare ourselves. And today we're going to start with this passage in Palm Sunday. So if you have your Bibles with you, grab them. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19 today. Luke chapter 19. And we're going to uh, read through this story of the triumphant entry this morning. And then we're going to look at Romans chapter 3 here in a little bit to kind of get our heads around what, what is our first step. What's our first step when we, come, when we come to Christ and we want to prepare ourselves for this marriage supper of the lamb as uh, as revelation 19 is talking about what's our first step what's the first thing we need to do and so that's our goal for today is to get to that point so let's look at the triumphant entry as jesus is entering into jerusalem he's he's nearing the end of his life he's nearing the end of his ministry and he's heading into jerusalem for one of the last times and we see this beautiful picture of celebration and joy um, from his followers and so let's read this together and when he'd said these things, he went on ahead in verse 28, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever set. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord is in need of it. So those who were sent, went away and found it just as he had told them and as they were untying the colt its owner said to them why are you untying the colt and they said the lord has need of it 
And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already down on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Jesus is heading into Jerusalem and, and his disciples bring him a colt, a donkey, and they set him on it. And then they celebrate him as the new king, the coming king, ushering in a new kingdom of God to earth. And it's his followers, it's his disciples and the people who are following who are with him. And they are just celebrating. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Just making known how amazing Jesus is and what they've seen him do over the past three years of his ministry. And how it's changed lives, how he's brought people back from the dead. He's healed. He's made blind people see. Jesus has done all these things and they're celebrating him as their new king, ushering in a new kingdom of God. And they're heading in to Jerusalem. And they're on the Mount of Olives and, they, and, and they're, they're heading down in. And in verse 41, the next verse, we get this moment where Jesus stops. In verse 41, it says this, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Jesus is heading down the Mount of Olives. He's making his way down to Jerusalem. And he pauses and he looks out over this city, this city that, that David established, this city of Zion, the city of where the people of God dwell where the temple of God is and Jesus is standing there looking over the city and he starts to weep oftentimes I think when we when we see the word weep or we hear the word weep it's this like quiet single tear that falls down somebody's cheek or this gentle moment of weeping my son even has this thing he's two and a half where and in recent days as he's doesn't get his way or he doesn't want to eat the vegetables that are on his plate, he begins to fake cry. This gentle whimpering, oh, I don't, oh, oh, this type of thing. And it's this gentle weeping that we, we imagine when we see the word weep. But in the Greek, that word is klio, and it means to cry or to wail or to lament with full sorrow. Jesus is looking out over this city and he's brought to a place where he is crying. Not where he's just gently weeping, but he is crying. And you might think that he's crying because he knows of what's going to happen to him in the coming days. He knows what his next steps are. But no, he's crying. We find out why he's crying here in the next verse. In verse 42, he says, Would that you... Even you had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden for your, from your eyes. He looks over Jerusalem and he, he proclaims to them, you don't even know what makes for peace. What's going to bring peace to your life has been hidden from you. You're not going to accept it. 
you're not going to believe it. You're not going to hold it dear. And you're going to miss out. And Christ, Jesus Christ is weeping, is wailing over the city, over God's people who aren't going to recognize Jesus as Savior. And that gets to our, our problem for today. Why did, why did these people that Jesus is crying over, that he is wailing over, why did they need peace? What peace was needed? What did they need in their life in order to bring peace? And in Romans chapter 3, we get an idea of this peace that's needed. This peace that's going to come. And so let's start there. Romans chapter 3. Grab your Bibles. Flip over to Romans. It's just a few books over. Romans chapter 3 and verse 9, it says this. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we've already charged that both the Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it's written, no one, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Jesus is weeping over the people of Jerusalem because he knows that they're not righteous. He knows that they don't have the capability to stand next to God in relationship with God on their own. God is pure and holy and amazing. And humans are broken people. We have sin in our world. Sin is just doing something that's not of God. And when we do something that's not of God, that separates us from him. And so here in Romans 3, it says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless and no one does good. Not even one. And Jesus is standing in front of Jerusalem. Crying for these people. Because he knows that they are broken. He knows that they are separated from God because of their sin. Because of their unrighteousness. Their living that is not right. And so Jesus is broken because of this. Knowing full well of what he's going to do later in the week. Knowing full well that he's headed to the cross. His heart is broken because the peace that he has for them, they're going to reject. And so what, what does this peace look like for us? How do we understand it wholly? How do we understand our need for peace in our lives? Romans verse 3, just jump down a few verse, or chapter 3, jump down a few verses, few verses to verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God has been manifested. The righteousness of God, the goodness of God, the perfectness of God, the holiness of God has been manifested. It's been brought to earth as a man in Christ Jesus. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness of God can be ours through faith in Jesus Christ. So how do we get this righteousness of God? Well, it says it's through faith in Christ Jesus. Well, what do we have to have faith in? What do we have to have faith in in this moment 
where we know we can't get righteousness on our own and God is so righteous. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know we're separated from him and we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over our former sins. Now, this is a, a complicated verse. There's a lot of big words in there. But here's ultimately what we're getting at. Our sin has separated us from God because he is righteous and we are broken. But God put forward, verse 25 says, Christ, the big word propitiation, just means he put him forward as a sacrifice for us. Put him forward as a sacrifice for us so that we might be able to stand next to God and say, I want to have a relationship with you. And God say, yes. But if we're broken, messed up people, we can't do that. Romans 6 verse 23 says this, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Our sin, our brokenness, our shame, our guilt has brought us to a place of death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. So does, not only does Christ coming as a sacrifice for us make us be able to stand next to God and right relationship with him, but it gives us life when death was our sentence. And Christ went to the cross and he poured himself out so that we might have a way to God, to have a relationship with him. So why was peace needed? Because of our sin, because of our need for a savior. And Christ is weeping because the people of Jerusalem won't recognize him as their savior. He went to the cross and died. He paid the wages. He paid the cost of our sin so that we might live. And now we stand before God justified. When God sees us, he doesn't see our sin, our shame, our guilt, but instead he sees his son in our lives. If we've said we believe in Jesus Christ, we have that. Where God doesn't see our brokenness, he doesn't see our shame, he doesn't see our guilt, but instead he sees the love of his son poured out on the cross for us. And he says, you are my child. I want to have a relationship with you. And so church, as we're trying to figure out over the next few weeks, how do we prepare ourselves to be the bride of Christ, to be the one that has been chosen by God? If we're trying to prepare ourselves, the first thing we have to recognize is that we have a need for a savior and that our sin needs to be forgiven, needs to be dealt with. So church, we have to recognize that our sin is a big problem. 
And today, if we've said yes to Jesus, we can go about our lives uh, and, and just pretend that, that we are Christians, that we are followers of him. But if we're still sinning, we're not pu putting ourselves in a position where we look more and more like Jesus. If we've truly said that we, we have a problem and it's sin and we believe that Christ died for us on the cross and then we give our whole lives to him, if we truly say that and our lives aren't righteous, we've done something wrong. Our goal should look, be to look more and more and more like Christ every day. That should be our goal. On our wedding day, on Megan, when Megan and I got married a, a few years ago, uh, the guys were in the basement of the church and we put our tuxedos on. It took about 10 minutes. It wasn't a big deal. Um, we joked around. I think we even played kickball in the basement of this church while we we're all wearing our tuxedos. And a, a few months later, when we got all the photos back and the video back from the wedding day, there were tons of pictures of Megan preparing for the wedding of getting herself ready. She looked beautiful. She looked amazing on our wedding day. She was wearing jewelry that she you know, normally doesn't wear, makeup that she normally doesn't wear. Her hair was done in a way that she normally doesn't wear her hair. And when she came down the aisle, she was beautiful. But she didn't have to do that. She could have come down the aisle in her normal everyday clothes, and I would have still said, I do. And Christ comes to us as a sacrifice. And he says, I want you right now in your broken state, in your normal everyday clothes. I want to have a relationship with you today, just as you are. And then I want to show you what it looks like to live in my kingdom here on earth. And over time, we put on the beautiful linen fine and pure that we heard about in Revelation. Over time, we learn how to live in these righteous deeds that he calls us to. You don't have to be perfect in order to have a relationship with God. In fact, God knows you're not. He knows you're not perfect. And he wants to have a relationship with you today. And so church, if we're to get ready, if we're to gear up, if we're to prepare ourselves for this wedding day, we need to recognize our need, that our sin causes us to have a need, and that we need to start living righteously, trying to live our lives in such a way that it looks more and more and more like Jesus every day. And if you're sitting at home this morning, and you're like, what in the world is this guy talking about? What in the world is he doing? Why is he telling me this? It's because this. It's because God loves you. And there's nothing you can do about it. You can't run away. You can't hide. His love never fades for us. He is good. And he wants to have a relationship with you. And if today you're sitting at home, you're holding your phone, you're watching your television or your computer or whatever you're doing, and you're like, I don't know how to have a relationship with him. Let me tell you about it. We talked about the first step already. It's understanding that we have a need. It's admitting 
that I'm a sinner, that I'm broken, that I'm messed up. It's understanding that you have a need for a savior, that you've been separated by your sin from God. And then the next step would be this, is to believe with all of your heart that Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross as a sacrifice for you so that you might have a relationship with God, so that you might have eternal life. Belief, admitting that you have a problem and believing that Jesus Christ is the solution to that problem. And then the last step is this, is just committing all that you are to learning how to live more like Jesus every day to making him the Lord and the king of your life, just as those people were worshiping him as he came down the mountain. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Making Christ the king of your life, the Lord of your life, and saying, I trust him to lead me. God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. Church, strive to live righteously. Know that God loves you and he wants to be the solution for your problem. That your sin, that your brokenness, that your guilt, the thing that is running through your mind right now of the thing that makes you feel like you can't come to God, he says, come to me anyways. I want to have a relationship with you. In fact, I sent my son to die in your place so that you might live. I'm going to pray and Courtney's going to come and sing and she's going to sing a song that says this in the bridge. Your goodness, God, is running after me. Your goodness, God, is running after me. And there's nothing we can do. There's nowhere we can hide from his love and his goodness. And so as we worship this morning, as we sing this morning, ask God, what is it in my life that I need to replace with you? What is it in my life that I need to give to you? God, we praise you this morning for your word. We praise you this morning for your goodness. And we ask this morning, as we worship you, as we, as we dig into this song together, that you would speak loud to our souls, convict us of our need for you, Convict us of our need for you this morning. Move in our hearts. In your name I pray. Amen.